Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment, think healthcare provision during a pandemic, think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, I speak to Gordy Ross. Gordy has been a video games developer for nearly 25 years and worked on the original Grand Theft Auto title. Now in his role with Kuato Studios, he is part of the burgeoning education gaming community. In the interview, Gordy tells us why play is the most natural form of learning, and we discuss whether gaming will become a fundamental part of our education systems in the future. But first, I ask Gordy for his views on the fast-changing education landscape. I agree that there's been a massive transformation globally during the, the pandemic in relation to education. Uh, just about everything in which, um, I guess, society is, is engaged has changed. But what I think is, you know, that was that's an ongoing process and something which was already happening in terms of remote learning, for example, which is the most obvious aspect I think that the pandemic has accelerated. Um, I, I think that, you know, particularly, for example, in, in higher education, uh, the concept of the webinar um, was already at play. You know, lots of university have thousands of online students uh, who are being validated online as well, uh, using uh, games as part of that process. And I just think that it was the, the older generations, more so than the younger generations, who were a little standoffish, standoffish in relation to that. But the pandemic said, no, everyone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> boom, get yeah. online. <laughs> do you think it's do you think it's being done well though? Do you think like remote learning was something that was really engaging students in the right way? It's a good point. Uh, I think what was it? I think like most things, it can always be better. You know, we are at an early stage in the life of even you know, you know the, the, the internet. <laughs> um, so we're still learning culturally how to adapt to this new media, this new way of being together without being physically together and that's that's quite an amazing thing that we've got going on there as a species where if we if we went back to the 19th century for example uh, it would seem like magic we're basically teleporting our presence our essence our soul from one place to another so it's a big change for the human brain right we haven't always been able to do that if we wanted to communicate, we had to send up a smoke signal or uh, or physically put one foot in front of the other and get somewhere. And now we have this new um, adaptation to our, our, our way of being. Uh, it's exciting, but it, it's a journey, right? We just began. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. We have a way to go. <laughs> and Gordy, what do you think are the biggest challenges as we kind of step into this journey around kind of blended learning and and with with remote learning and, and digital kind of technology having a bigger role in education going forward what do you think are the biggest challenges uh the, the eternal issues in education are always the same i think uh, the, the education sector it you know, needs to adapt to the changing needs of human culture you know, we, we live in a time where 
culture, it's, it's evolving more rapidly than it's ever evolved and it, doing that on a global scale. And the fact that we're doing that in a connected way instantly across a, a telecommunications network is, is part of that, right? So the, the biggest challenges that we face are in education in some respects are the ones that we've always had. They're just manifesting in a different way. And that's, the, there's the haves and the have nots in this world. And the democratization and access to, uh, to education for, for everyone is, is kind of what we need if we want to have an equal playing field and a place where we discover uh, the geniuses out there. You know, I don't know where the next genius is going to be. It could be in a small uh, village in Scotland. It could be in a small village in Liberia. I don't know. But when we find them, it helps everyone. And education for me is about that. It's about trying to find these uh, these people, these dreamers, um, who who will lead us in the new direction. And then, of course, there's another type, which is dissemination for the rest of us to go. All right, this is what this person discovered. You know, and and here's here's why it works. So you can use that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's but the, but the issue is in the fundamental issue is some people have an iPad, some people don't. So if we're going to use a mechanism where you need an iPad for education, we need to make sure the iPads are accessible to the people who want to educate. And from my, from my point of view, that's everyone. Okay, Gordy, let's, let's introduce the topic of education gaming. First of all, for our listeners, can you, can you describe what education gaming is, how prevalent it is right now, and, and what role you think gaming might have in solving the challenges you've just spoken about? I think if we look at, um, at play generally, Play and gaming is a is a form of play. There's lots of different types of play, but you know that's the whole book. Homer <laughs> <laughs> um, Ludus, for example, the playing man, you could <laughs> take a look at that. But um, okay, so play is the most natural form of, of learning, and you can see it uh, in the you know the, the the rest of our animal cousins. You know, cats will play around with a piece of string and learn something about catching. Uh, it's not necessarily directly related to string. Um, we've got uh, an ability now to create uh, any kind of environment we like, basically. Um, we're not limited anymore. When we have education and gaming, we can create the environment, the play environments um, that are, are, are guided or suited to uh, a particular type of learning. And that, that's, the, that's the key factor. We'll, fo we'll focus you in here and we say, we create an environment for you to play and explore and fail a thousand times in it without consequence. Uh, and, and by doing so, you will succeed. It's why Mario has gives you, you know, you can have up to 99 lives in Mario. You know, if I, if I got one, it would be a terrible learning experience. But by the time I end a game of Mario, I've learned huge, a huge number of things uh, about that environment. <laughs> so if we create another environment, we're creating an environment which you can play and explore. And, and that, that, that's, the, that's the joy of education and gaming. Uh, the other part I think is, uh, is important as well is um, uh, to provide teachers with um, some kind of background as to what we had in mind when we create these environments. And so you know, learning resources that, that go with these uh, uh, gaming experiences. So they can, uh, because they're in, a, they're in a slightly different position from us. We, we're about explorative learning. Teachers 
have a certain duty to kind of validate and see you're passing some kind of milestone or qualitative um, aspect of the education process. And they can say, yeah, it's okay. Uh, like this kid's ready to move on to level two now. They're ready, ready for you to um, create a new learning environment for them tailored to that. Yeah, so the, we're going to work together. We, we create the um, learning environments, other aspects of the education department um, or get education process. They need to be aware of what we're up to so that they can go, okay, right, we'll, we'll take care of the validation part. It's a fascinating kind of collision of worlds, isn't it? Tell us about Coato Studios then, Gordian, the company, what the company does and what you think it's kind of USP is. Coato provides uh, a space for kids to, to explore. Uh, in particular, we are focused on the meaning behind stories and words. Um, that's the fundamental way in which humans communicate ideas and can imagine something in their mind and then tell the rest of the world uh, that you know maybe this is a good idea. It's a good way for us to all behave. You have to be able to communicate, and words tend to be how we do that. Whether it's whether it's sign language or uh, speech or writing things down or um, you know in some respects I would say even you know cave paintings or um, hieroglyphs. You know it's it's all part of language. It's all part of written language or the use of some type of word to. Uh, to explain what's going on in here, in, inside your mind. So we're basically focused on creating those uh, environments in which the kid can explore. And depending upon the audience and the age group, you know, we look to guide them less or more in that exploration. But the, the main important part for us is that they're, in, they're engaging with um, with words, with narrative, with story, and beginning to understand the meaning behind these, uh, this, this amazing tool that our, our species has. Hello, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this podcast, and if you want more, you can head over to techforgood.net for some compelling and thought-provoking stories. From high-tech insect farms that could solve world hunger to a global mission to counter the spread of COVID-19 disinformation, we've got Tech for Good covered. You can read and subscribe at techforgood.net. What kind of age groups do you feel like you're, you're targeting these things at? So in, in principle, yeah, we're talking uh, you know, four to... Uh, seven years old is our core but we don't really want to limit ourselves to that as we go forward because what we want to do is create a foundation and a joy and a love of storytelling of wordplay of the meaning behind things even maybe at some point we'll be thinking about the you know etymology of words and where the words came from and why you should be excited about that and why you know how that helps you learn about history and all of these types of things but for now we're basically saying Here's here's uh, here young people in this age group, you know, four to uh, you know four to seven. Um, here are words, use them, and see what they mean. Find out what they mean, and go and explore. Have have fun. Go on. You're gonna love this because because those those kids are just learning the power and the magic of words, and and that's what we're about. Any insights on the kind of popularity? Maybe tell the listener about like your most kind of popular games. How many people use them? That kind of thing, just to give us an idea of that. Um, yeah. So the we when we work with 
um, uh, Disney, for example. Mm -hmm. And so we are, I mean, they're wonderful storytellers, Disney, and they have such rich uh, universes. And the thing about Disney, of course, is that they, you know, they're smart. They've leveraged uh, ancient stories and modernized them and brought them into, uh, into, a, into a medium, or allowed us as well to bring them into a medium that a modern generation wants to uh, engage with. So Disney Story Realms, for example, is uh, is one of the more successful projects. And, you know, it's and it's played by uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, kids over the you know over the years. It's been out for for quite a while, and we continually maintain it and um, enhance that experience all, all the time. So there's that. There's you know uh, Marvel um, Hero Tales as well, which is um, again it's a, it's a different type of experience from the from Disney realms, um, but again, it's encouraging kids to explore and take actions in the world uh, by by using words and exploring the meaning behind those words whilst, it, whilst everything plays out in a cool comic book setting. You know, basically you're making effectively a comic book when you play that game. So those are a couple of core experiences that we have uh, created and in, in, in environments for play, um, which are already available and, you know, it's, a lot of fun. Let's talk about the really exciting possibilities in the future, Gordy, and especially around virtual reality. I know Qarto had some investment at the beginning of this year, which has kind of given you a bit of a platform to explore VR and 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 the possibilities there. Can you talk a bit about how virtual reality could augment children's learning even more? Sure. I, I, this is a, it's a fascinating space, and we, we've got a, a great investor, uh, Horizons Ventures, who have given us the resources to go and explore different aspects of, of our mission. Uh, VR is something, so we, we, we've patented a, um, a lovely play mechanism, which is, we, we call it actor-director. And what that means is there's two different types of, of player and two different types of roles. A bit like if you think Dungeons and Dragons, for example, where you've got um, a group of people going on an improvised uh, adventure and a, and a story which can can change along the way directed by the games uh, master or the dungeon master and so actor director allows that type of experience between people you're playing remotely or in the same room but on different devices where uh, one person is immersed in the vr experience and the other player is uh, is basically influencing that with their kind of subjective uh, feelings about what might be interesting or fun to happen next just like you would be if you're a director in a movie but this is a live experience uh it's like improv improv theater <laughs> so that that's the type of thing we're exploring i think um look, we're really interested in storytelling and vr is a new uh, a new forum for storytelling we're we, we are deeply engaged in trying to understand the, the grammar behind how that works. The, um, if you look at something like the early days of cinema, the, the, the Lumiere brothers and so on, and there was, they had to learn, they had to invent everything about how to cut, how to show a passage of time, uh, what happened, you know, how does the um, audience think about what's happening off of the, the screen? Um, VR is a totally different setup in the sense that, um, I, I, it's it's harder to make something spring out from just off camera, for example. 
how do we do that? How do you change from one place to the next? How do you show that a passage of time has, has occurred? So we've got to all, all these th things to explore so we can move beyond um, you know, what, the magic trick. We've got to move beyond the magic trick that the Lumiere brothers, you know, for example, or in early cinema, a train comes rushing towards them, the whole audience are, ah! Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of VR is a bit like that just now, and we want to move beyond and, and explore a deeper, richer storytelling experience. What's your role at Kyoto, um, Gordy? And so tell us a bit about what you do. And I want to introduce the listeners to kind of your background because you worked on a pretty famous video game, it's fair to say, in your early career. <laughs> I, I did. Um, so the, well, the game you're referring to, that was the, the second, second game I worked on, which was Grand Theft Auto. And so the very first one, I should say. <laughs> um, and that was interesting because it... I mean, what, what we did, one of the important things we did there is we introduced a non-linear storytelling uh, system. Uh, basically, that's what Grand Theft Auto is. It's a branched uh, storytelling experience in which uh, it just so happens that you tend to drive a car quite quickly between each part of the story. But, that's, <laughs> but ultimately, that's what it is. Um, I was working with, uh, as part of the, in that same studio, we were working as part of the Nintendo Dream Team, for which had been assembled by Nintendo um for the n64 so that's for the nintendo 64 so we, we were working on there we get to work with nintendo who are amongst the best storytellers in the interactive industry so that was a wonderful foundation for me i was just a teenager you know so it was just an amazing start for me um i worked on uh, football manager which is which is interesting in the sense that it's also big, big open world storytelling platform. There's loads of stories in Football Manager, uh, we call Championship Manager in those days, but there's loads of stories in there. Every player has a story, every manager has a story, and these are all generated based upon the the, the, the massive combinations of interactions which go on in that, that world. And the football is interesting, but the thing that keeps you there is kind of your own story and the story of all the... Um, Inter you know, all the uh, artificial agents within that game. Um, I also worked on um, got Parents' Choice Award, I think, for uh, the work on uh, Leapfrog and the Leapster, which was an educational platform and uh, pretty pop popular as the Leapster and the Leappad um, uh, gaming, uh, educational gaming platforms, which are really cool. Um, also, I did work for um, Hasbro, uh, on um, Littlest, Pet, Littlest Pet Shop Online, which is uh, a game for four to eight-year-olds, uh, which was really cool. Um, that was my first delve into um, online video gaming, you know, massively multiplayer online video gaming. And also did, uh, I was a creative director on the um, Lego Worlds uh, project. I actually, developed uh, the prototype before it was handed over for, for uh, full production. So I did basically, I ironed out all the, all the difficulties with the team uh, and then it went into full production using a, using a different technology, but the same design mechanics. Um, so yeah, basically I'm a new product designer or a new product development um, manager. So I tend to be about doing new things rather than repeating the old ones. Do you want to keep up to date with the latest in enterprise, technology, and digital transformation? Visit digitalbulletin.com for news, long reads, thought leadership, and so much more. That's digitalbulletin.com.
really interested, Gordy, as to why you've you followed kind of gone down this path towards education and learning and using your skills in that area because it, obviously you've got a passion for video games. It seems like you also have a passion for learning and and helping young people learn. So what what do you think took you down that route? There's a number of things which make me passionate about about education and engaging young people. Um, and you know, life's a rich tapestry, and lots of things have happened to me in my life, uh, one place or another. Um, when when I was in primary school, I was a very enthusiastic student. Uh, I didn't know I was a student; I just was really enthusiastic about everything. So, um, I was really surprised at the end of my uh, primary education to be awarded uh, the, the Ducks Medal, which was you know, the, you're, you're the best all-rounder student in the in the school. At, you know, at, at the at this level. I was, Huh, I didn't even know that was a thing. I, I oh, we, we do awards or something. Wow, okay, I'm not sure why I'm getting this. I just was playing. <laughs> you know, effectively, that's how I felt. I spent seven years playing. And when I was in high school, uh, when it was a different school, um, it was much more, uh, I would say, a much more formal, traditional, um, 19th century esque uh, experience. And there was aspects of it which I thoroughly enjoyed, but there's lots of parts I just didn't understand. Why are we doing this? What, what's going on? Um, and I would find myself dreaming um, a lot in, in class. I would, the, the teacher would say the first thing, and I'd miss the rest because I was already exploring all the connotations of that thing. And I, I, So the lecture didn't work for me, basically. Uh, exploration and engagement and play. So I realized, you know what? And I realized I was still able to learn loads and loads of things. And so I think that was what really triggered it for me was, oh, you know, uh, th there's more to, there's more to this than meets the eye. And it turns out when I play, that's when I learn the most because I'm self-guiding and I'm really engaged in this type of thing. And it's really interesting. So what, what you're doing today, you can really kind of relate back to that experience you had in the, as a learner. Yeah, I basically never grew up. You know, that, <laughs> that's it. Uh, yeah. I, I see myself as a child. I see the rest of the world. You know, I see a lot of people doing very serious, important things. And I see them as, as grown-ups. And I see my goal is to keep everyone playing. Keep, keep playing. Play with me. Come on. <laughs> it's, it, it's a strange way to look at the world. For a long time, I thought that the rest, like a, a lot of people out there felt like a different species to me. You know, I mean, grown-ups. Um, and I never really saw myself as part of that club. And, and then I began to realize, well, okay, I shouldn't be so harsh. I think in a lot of ways, grown-ups are just more experienced kids. You know, so we're, we're just, well, and, and over time we get, we're not so used, not so willing to let our fingers get burnt whilst we explore the fire, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that you've, you know, you've been vindicated in a way because, you know, you've gone on and had been able to establish a professional career and, and, and in, in, that, in that way, right? Yeah, it, it's funny, you're actually making me think even further back in time to when I got my first computer, uh, which would, I don't know, be around 1981. And my dad had said, um, it started saying, let me say, it started saying, look, I'm getting you this computer so long as you learn how to program it. And, uh, you know, it's not just for playing games. And, and I did. <laughs> and it was, I think I was probably about 30. And I think I just moved to work in, in Canada on a, a project, which was, you know, five, $7 million budget, which was relatively sizable in those days. Um, and I was having a conversation with him and I said, and he said, you know, 
we bought you those computers so you would learn how to program them and not just play games. And I said, Dad, what have I been doing since I was 18? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll stop saying that. <laughs> End of conversation. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Gordy, um, sort of coming to the end of it, I want to bring it back now to the kind of gaming and education worlds and look at look into the future and do you kind of seriously believe that gaming can become a fundamental part of education systems going forward i i truly believe this is the way forward i think um you know something i would say it, you know this is yeah, let, let me just go a little bit out there and say if you look at star trek the next generation you look at the holodeck that's their main place for learning and training and exploring and playing in, in a safe way. Uh, VR is a bit like that. You'll notice they use words to speak their uh, experience into being. They don't go and code it in that sense. They use meaning behind words to create their environment. And I think that's kind of the future. It's going to be a situation. I want to explore this space. I want to understand what it was like to be in a street in the 19th century. Bing! and it's there. And so I can experience it. So I really learned by experiencing, not reading a book and trying to imagine what that author thought it might be like. I can explore it. What if, what if, what would it be like? I want to understand the Tyrannosaurus Rex. So I'm in a 19th century street and I, I kind of get that now. What is a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Give me a Tyrannosaurus Rex here. Bam. Wow, that's what a Tyrannosaurus Rex is really like. And I can, I can relate what Tyrannosaurus Rex is really like because I just learned about what it's like to be in a 19th century street. And this is what it would be like if the two were combined. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I really understand. I really understand the power of a Tyrannosaurus Rex now. As opposed to a Tyrannosaurus Rex is capable of exerting a pressure on the ground, which would be equivalent to blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, how I, that's where I see it. I, I mean, I see it will go that way and it will allow us to just play and experiment and have an amazing time whilst we're learning. You know, it won't feel like a chore to learn. You know, learning shouldn't feel like a chore. It should be the most exciting thing you experience in your life. It's something new. <laughs> yeah. So you, what you're saying is you believe in the future where children are better educated and, and they are... Because it, it's fair to say that the current system, certainly here in the UK, I, don't, I wouldn't want to speak for anywhere else, but the system here in the UK has, has come un, under a fair bit of kind of criticism and there are certainly strong voices against current kind of methods. But ultimately, you, you're an optimist and you believe that we we will come or we will go down a path where, and it, you know, that path is lined with technology and gaming and those things. And ultimately, children will learn better because of that. Yeah, our, our our world going forward is going to be a mixed reality, right? It's going to be digital uh, and it's going to be physical because we're physical creatures, right? Um, you know, if you if we were to look at uh, our generation, for example, my you know, I won't put you in the same bracket. Look at look at my generation and 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 then put us in a field with uh, sheep in the nineteenth century, we'd be hopeless. We'd be hopeless. But between the nineteenth century and now. Uh, we went from you know something like 85 percent of people working in fields with sheep and other animals to one percent of the population using tractors and moving food around growing food and moving it around and the rest of us do something else so uh, if we look at um you know, i think there's wonderful things we look at 
um, so I, I was watching a funny video about um, the interaction between, I, I guess we'll just say for the sake of argument, a, a millennial and an older guy in his uh, 50s or 60s who was looking to maybe hire her or not hire her. And her demands about her lifestyle were completely out of scope for him. You know, she wanted to start at 10 and maybe work till, you know, work till four or something like this. The reality was that with her skill set and her understanding of his business, she would probably would have been working at 11 o'clock at, at night to update, uh, you know, a, a search algorithm or something on her mobile uh, before going to the concert. You know, so she would be working all the, all the time when it mattered rather than when he thought it was important. And I think that that is also true of our education system it needs to reflect a change of culture. It can't always be going, no, we're going to program you to go on, go on a factory line or yeah. sit, you know, sit in a row of accountants and do ledgers. <laughs> and we're going to bring a, ring a bell when you have to go back to the classroom and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, robots are going to be doing most of the, the, the manual labor, so I can't, I can't trade my manual labor for anything because robots do it. Um, artificial intelligence is going to do the grunt work of um, solving and iterating over a thousand, uh, thousand problems. So again, from an accountancy perspective or even from a legal perspective, those jobs are under, under threat. So the only thing that I have is to set goals. What do I subjectively think we should be doing? So it's about philosophy, ultimately, at the end of the day. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe, and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher.